Hey everyone, I'm Alicia McClintock and this is the A Plain Account podcast. I am so excited to have a stellar guest co-host, my friend, Pastor Megan Pardue. Um, and we are going to be looking at the text for Christ the King Sunday. Hey Megan, how are you doing today? Good, so glad to be chatting with you about this great text. <laughs> um, will you offer um, a few notes of introduction on yourself? Where are you pastoring? Um, what does your day in a life look like as a pastor this week? Yeah, so I pastor a congregation refuge home church in Durham, North Carolina. Um, we're doing the online digital church life right now um, in these COVID days. So it is not the same and still the people of God gathered despite the difference. Um, so we're trekking along with that and looking forward to kind of closing this liturgical year and opening up to something new in the season of Advent. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you as a guest for this Sunday just because of your liturgical imagination and the ways that that shapes your reading of the text. And I am confident our listeners will be encouraged by our conversation today. So um, why don't we take, take a dive in? We've been working through the Gospel of Matthew. This is the last Sunday of year A. Here we go. Um, and Matthew has been taking pains in these last chapters to really highlight um, the core message of Christ, that when Christ comes, there is a demand on our attention, on our time, on our whole life. Um, so we've had uh, previously the parable of the talents, the parable of the 10 bridesmaids, um, the uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's, the parable of the wedding banquet. So in this, in this season, as we close out ordinary time, Matthew is offering a scene after scene of kind of decisive judgment. We, we have a lot of parables that are full of grace and surprising um, goodness in some ways, but also these last few weeks have been a lot of parables about judgment. So we have that in our minds as we come to the text for today. I have the NIV with me um, this morning and I am reading from Matthew chapter 25. We'll do verses uh, 31 through 46. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Whew. Okay. I, I tried to like prepare us for some of those like harsh scenes of judgment in the parable, um, but that's not really where I want to start <laughs> with the text <laughs> today, um, mostly because I'm avoiding some of some of those images they're a little tricky it's it's always hard hard to say this is the word of the lord when the like last sentence is about punishment and stuff like that um yeah it's, but, it's as if uh jesus sees these tasks to be non-optional right yep um, yes these places where we put ourselves um there you don't just get to pick one and call it good nope um they're they're all marks of discipleship all marks of faithfulness yeah. Um, and, and Jesus has been pretty uh, committed to offering this over and over again. I think when we come to the gospel of Matthew, I think we remember that Matthew as a storyteller is kind of hanging all of Jesus's engagements, uh, all of his preaching, all of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Like that seems to me the kind of foundational mm -hmm. space to mm -hmm. start from. Um, and, and he again, in another kind of grouping talks about uh, the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the mourning, the peacemakers, all of them being the ones who are blessed. And so this is our, our first picture and also our last picture of what the kingdom is like or what the kingdom is looking like. Yeah. Are there um, some key ideas that are jumping out at you. We, we remember that in our liturgical context, this is Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of ordinary time, right before we jump into Advent one. Uh, I was telling Megan before we went live that sometimes that move from Christ the King Sunday to Advent one can give me a little bit of whiplash. Like sometimes it feels like to move from Christ the King exalted on the throne to sweet baby Jesus in the manger can feel a little bit rough sometimes. But in this passage, I almost feel like it's hard not to preach an Advent sermon. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Let's, let's start, let's spend a little bit of time with that, Alicia. Just how do you understand, or what do you understand to be kind of the, the liturgical role of Christ the King Sunday, or what, you know, regardless of what text we're reading, like what is Christ the King kind of pointing us towards? Yeah. Um, in, in the cycle of the church year, we're really keeping step with the life of Jesus and the life of the church. Um, and then here on the podcast, we, we really focus our time on the gospel texts from the lectionary, which points us always concretely to the life of Christ. Um, and so the, the role of Christ the King Sunday reminds us that the, the, the cosmos, all of creation is the reign of God. Um, that God is moving all creation to new creation. And in some fundamentally earth-shattering way, God is becoming king in Jesus. Um, that that mm -hmm. this, new, this new reality is being inaugurated 
through Jesus's life, work, death, and resurrection. Um, and so then Christ the King Sunday anchors us firmly in that truth that our God reigns, um, that this same power that conquered the grave lives in us and empowers us to live mm. holy lives. Um, and that, that from, from that space of Christ on the throne, we engage the here and now so desperately differently than we did before. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. It's so interesting to me that Christ the King in, in the U.S. context, Christ the King falls always after our election cycle. So regardless yes. of where you find yourself on the political spectrum or where you're, like where the heartbeat of your congregation is, with political engagement, at least in the, the U.S. democracy, there's this like pull towards something else that I know as a preacher is always coming. Yes. Um, so it's like, it's like whatever has happened before, which in this case, a lot has happened. Um, <laughs> whatever's happened right through the beginning of November, like I, I feel this pull towards this proclamation and um, declaration of a kind of political reality that is beyond um, the political realities that we are often limited by in our imagination. Yes. Okay. Because here's the thing that the that the church, the people of God, and then the people of Christ, Christians, have always considered themselves part of a political reality, as in like like a community that exists for a certain purpose in the world. And it's, right. I, I do not think that word means what you think it means in this sort of politics, right? The politics of the reign of God is so different from the kinds of politics that often capture our imaginations and then kind of, I would say, colonize our hearts and our minds. Um, or at least it feels that way wow. in the particular American context post a really divisive election. I think all of our pastors who are listening are, are preaching to divide communities. I think if you're not, you're some sort of unicorn and I want to know you. <laughs> I want to know what mm -hmm. that experience is like because it seems like especially in in these, I've, I'm sure every generation feels this way, but it just feels like increasingly more and more divided. Um, right. When I look at our, our families, our neighborhoods, our congregations. Um, and, and so I don't know about you, but lately I'm hearing this call back to remember God is on the throne or <laughs> I hear some people say God is in control, which isn't the same thing as saying Jesus reigns or that God is not the same thing. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. <laughs> um, so I've been doing some theological correctives there. Um, but I, but I also feel like sometimes that's offered as a sort of excuse to disengage or to pull back from some of these really tough conversations to so just say like, well, Jesus reigns and it'll all work out. <laughs> and right. Yeah. It's really, it's a lot more sticky than that. Right. A lot more tension. And this, this text, I think really puts that tension front and center. What are some of the things that you notice about that, that proclamation of Jesus reigning? Like, like, it just seems like this text demands something from us. If we're going to say Christ is King, we can't just sit back and say, Oh, it'll all work out. Right. Well, just to kind of, you know, pull the thread through from what we just said. Um, if, if the ask of me in as a citizen of a democracy is to participate 
in that democracy through, let's say, voting. Right. Education, um, being informed, right. having Paying civil taxes. dialogue. Yeah. I mean, all there's like things. quite a list, right? But though the cost is actually quite low. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the cost of being a citizen of democracy of a democracy versus like the the call or the cost of discipleship this is asking something that's a lot deeper that actually requires um um um, requires that i locate my body in different kinds of places that i know different kinds of people and that i open myself up to both the vulnerability of participating in those in those spaces and with the kinds of people that Jesus is describing. Um, but also that not only is there like a vulnerability, but there's also um, this incredible discovery that, that those are the places where God is actually already. Um, yes. And that when I distance myself or shield myself or just ignore, which is really more likely or don't notice, right? Choose to not look. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, if we're taking Matthew seriously, I am missing the very body of Christ. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so good. We're missing the very body of Christ. If we're not in the places where Christ already is and Christ had like Jesus has offered a significant example through his whole life and work and ministry. Jesus is proclaiming the good news to the poor, speaking peace to the sick, um, ministering to those who are on the outside who are lonely or excluded. Like this, this is where Jesus already has been and continues to be. Um, and if we're going to be citizens of God's reign that like has a concrete call on our physical bodies and, and our like geographical location, I know, um, you and your faith community have been deeply impacted by this call. You, you spend time in places that lots of church folks don't generally spend time, right? Yeah. Well, actually, um, I often preach and I'm, I'm like in deep grief about this this week in particular, but I've at least twice have preached Christ the King, my Christ the King sermon um, while in prison, um, mm-hmm. very memorably in, in 2016. And, and that was memorable for all of the reasons the 2016 was memorable. Um, but, but then I also preached last year, 2019, um, Christ the King in prison. And it's a very, um, it's a very surreal experience. Um, it's, I mean, being in prison is incredibly, one would think incredibly disorienting mm-hmm. um, to be a person who's not incarcerated and in, in the place of incarceration. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I always experience it as a deeply grounding experience because I'm I mean, literally surrounded by the body of Christ. Yes. Um, I I heard somebody say once in, in a sermon that there is no good news without incarcerated persons. When you think about mm. the ways that our scriptures have come to us through John the Baptist, who was imprisoned, um, Jesus, who was imprisoned, Paul, who wrote so many of his letters from prison, and then right. on and on back to the beginning of the story, right? We have, we have Joseph, who was in prison, and then all throughout that, like, that, that this is where the body of Christ, where God's reign has already been, um, and, and I... I can hear 
that sense of grounding or connectedness as you tell that story? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's something about being in prison. Um, it's, it's so connecting to who Christ is and the experiences in the life of Christ as a person who was arrested, given, you know, a pretty lousy trial, <laughs> we could say, <laughs> um, you know, accused of crimes he did or did not commit, depending on how you interpret the law, I suppose, <laughs> you know, and then ultimately given the, the death penalty, these are experiences that are so, they're, they're just not removed from our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated. They too have been arrested. Arrested. They too have been um, on trial if they were lucky, right, yeah. to receive a trial. Um, I mean, it's, you know, many of them without representation. Um, you know, they've been imprisoned, had their, had their right, rights stripped from them, you know, Jesus lost his clothes. And, and of course, one of the things here, in addition to visiting those who are in prison is clothing the naked. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the layers in which, um, I, I guess you might say actually not the layers in which, but the, the ways in which the layers are stripped away in prison. Um, I mean, these are, these are not just our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the body of Christ. Yes. Um, and so I'm, I'm grieving the way in which I'm not able to be there because of COVID this sermon, a sermon there um, on Christ the King, I mean, it preaches itself because the understanding, the analysis that are, and I visit men's correctional institutions, although I know this is the, the same in, in women's, the ways in which our, our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated do this work of analysis. Mm -hmm. They understand the powers and principalities. They live within them and they live resistant to them. Um, every single time they declare themselves a child of God. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Goosebumps. I, I don't have the same ministry experience with um, our incarcerated brothers and sisters, um, but spent the past two and a half years of my life in ministry among our unsheltered brothers and sisters. And I similarly found it um, to be the the blessing of God's reign in my life. Um, cause they do the same thing that you're talking about that, like inherent finding themselves in the story that Jesus is telling. Um, it's, it's obvious to them that they are the ones that Jesus is talking about. And every time, like you said, they declare that they are children of God. They're resisting those powers and principalities and those other forces that try to claim their identity or try to locate them in other places, they have the boldness to locate themselves in the reign of Christ. Um, and, and I just, I have to confess, I don't see that same kind of discipleship work among our more wealthy and privileged brothers and sisters or, or in the same kind of way. Well, that actually leads me to something I immediately notice in the scripture, which is not what's there, but mm -hmm. what's not there. Yeah, what's not so there? Amongst the list of, of things, of, of, part, of ways to participate um, in, in both, right, visiting, clothing, feeding, sheltering, um, 
welcoming the very body of Christ. Um, what's not there is anything to do with worship. <laughs> right. What, what songs are we singing? Devotional life. Um, right. <laughs> and interestingly, it's even, you know, I even notice what's not there. There's no kind of solitary act. Hmm. There's no kind of, um, while I, as one individual could go visit at one other individual, there's still another individual. There's like constantly this communal pull. Yes. So so when we say, you know, in our preaching and like, you're not meant to follow Jesus alone or something like I often say is like, Jesus didn't call one person, like, you know, or Jesus sent people out in pairs. I mean, whatever you might say to kind of continually um, deepen this understanding that we don't follow Jesus in isolation. We don't follow Jesus alone. Literally none of the things that we're supposed to do here to avoid the fiery doom, <laughs> none of them can be done alone. Nope. They have to be engaged with another person. So it's like, there's just, even here, what we don't have is any kind of individual acts of piety, any Mm -hmm. kind of devotional life that's for me and myself and God, um, you know, any kind of number of Sundays in which I need to be in worship. We don't have any of that. None of it. Yeah. And, and a lot of the ways that we spend our time, I mean, it really requires, and, and this might be a kind of something to explore in, in, you know, your sermon for Sunday. What's at stake here? I mean, Jesus says what's at stake is our righteousness, mm. um, amongst other things. I, I would say in addition to literally meeting the very body of Christ. So if that's the case, then how do we step back and reevaluate the use of our time, the use of our energy, the use of our resources. Mm-hmm. And how does this sermon really invite our church to take like a really hard look um, behind the curtain? Yeah. What matters to us? And do, and is what matters to us this, these things? Right. Like our, is our heart aligned with God's heart? Are our priorities God's priorities? Are, are we um, committing our time, effort, energy, talents to borrow our language from the previous Mm, parable? Are we committing those things to the things that Jesus seems to be marking as most important? Um, Right. That like, that is, that is a, that is a hard question to answer and a necessary one and maybe it's not one we we can answer like all at once maybe that's a slow unfolding right um but it does I think demand our really careful attention um it, uh, this is one of the things that surprises me about the text is that neither of these groups seem self-aware. They don't, they don't really like know what's <laughs> happening. They get to the moment and ba- they both say, both groups say like, when did we see you, Lord? We didn't know. And then Jesus, right, right. Jesus says like, when, when you were among the least of these, you were with me. And they all seem sort of surprised by that. Um, but I suppose this is where the contemporary church might have um, the benefit of hindsight. Like Jesus has already told us, this should not surprise us that Christ's body is among the the least, the excluded, the stranger. Um, and and so so then I think as community leaders, as preachers, as pastors, it is our that our work then to help shepherd our community well in the same way that Jesus shepherding the sheep from the goats. It's our, our responsibility 
in a kind of heavenly mm. way to be shepherding our people um, for this kind of imagination. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I am going to ask our, our listeners to bear with me as I uh, take a little bit of a Greek deep dive. <laughs> Not a super deep dive. Please do. <laughs> I was I was very uh, intrigued, as was Megan, by the by the word stranger um, in the text. Sometimes that can be translated as alien or foreigner. But here's what's really interesting: the the Greek here is xenos, from which we get the word xenophobia, which has like shook me this morning. <laughs> like I'm I'm sitting with yeah. that pretty deeply. Like anyway. Do you, have, do you have some thoughts or reflections about that? I mean, if I could just sub in the word xenos, since we know that it has this, this other meaning that we're more familiar with, you know, yeah. xenophobia. And when was it that we saw you a stranger? Let me read it again. And when was it that we saw you a xenos and welcomed you? That'll preach and also get you in trouble, but good trouble. Like, I think... I think we have to be saying that kind of stuff from the pulpit. Absolutely. And, and, and what ways does that even, you know, you were talking about the kind of whiplash of ad into Advent. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, in what ways does that posture us towards what we're going, the story we're going to hear, the story of Jesus's birth, which is ultimately a story of, you know, a couple of teenagers and their journey as refugees. Yes. Yeah. Our, our brown bodied bilingual border crossing savior. I'd like, I, I think, I think we have, we have to be looking at that when, when we come to, to this text, when we proclaim Christ, the King, that is who we're proclaiming to be King. One of the uh, musical artists I really admire, her name is Liz Weiss. I'll post this on our discussion page, but um, she, she just released an Advent song called the refugee King and um, about (laughs) Mary and Joseph fleeing with uh, baby Jesus from this like tyrannical genocidal ruler um fleeing to Egypt for their safety like a refugee king and if if this text of for Christ the King Sunday and the Advent stories aren't shaping our imagination for the body of Christ and the reign of Christ then I don't think we're faithfully reading scripture like I I think this has to be part of the work that we're doing in community great um great are there are there some other um other voices or images that are shaping how you're reading the text this week? Yeah, I actually brought one that I'd love to share. It's from the poet um, Malcolm Gleet, and he has this little book of sonnets. It's called Sounding the Seasons, 70 Sonnets for the Christian Year. It's probably been, it's a book of, you know, sonnets, a book of poetry, but it's probably single-handedly been the most important book to my preaching um, Mm -hmm. as a kind of secondary voice over the last few years. His his sonnets, um, some of which are um, looking really, it's it's very liturgically based, so you know there's a sonnet that I'll read in a moment called The Feast of Christ the King, Mm -hmm. Um, but his sonnets often uh, will circle around an image or draw me to something that I hadn't noticed before in the scripture mm. or, or something significant about the liturgical feast day, for example. And 
he he draws me in in a way that can sometimes become the way into my sermon mm-hmm. um, or or just draws me into one of the images in the scripture or the images of this liturgical feast day, for example, that give me the jumping off point to explore in my sermon with my people. So, you know, I want to read this for us today, this sonnet, um, and then maybe Alicia, you and I could just look at a couple of the things that he draws out. I would love that. To illuminate more of what's happening in Matthew 25. This is again, uh, Malcolm Gui sounding the seasons. The poem is called the Feast of Christ the King. Our king is calling from the hungry furrows, whilst we are cruising through the aisles of plenty. Our hoardings screen us from the man of sorrows. Our soundtracks drown his murmur, I am thirsty. He stands in line to sign in as a stranger and seek a welcome from the world he made. We see him only as a threat, a danger. He asks for clothes. We strip search him instead. And if he should fall sick, then we take care that he does not infect our private health. We lock him in the prisons of our fear lest he unlock the prison of our wealth. But still on Sunday, we shall stand and sing the praises of our hidden Lord and King. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. That is so good. There's so many images that are echoing in there. The, The prison of wealth, our aisles of plenty. Um, mm the the strip search yeah yeah I mean he's really using the images of Matthew 25 and then in some ways redescribing some some actual scenes of the life of Jesus Mm -hmm. in language um, and imagery that is present in our contemporary imagination so we already spoke of Jesus's nakedness Mm -hmm. on the cross um and, and here we have the one who asks for clothes, who then receives a strip search. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in, as we find ourselves, um, just as we're recording this today on November 16th, um, our numbers for COVID are surging and the, the ways in which sickness and fear Mm. and the very seriousness that we have to take the pandemic um which requires changes in behavior yeah and also as a person who believes in the political reality in which christ is king death is not the worst thing that can happen so how do we in our preaching hold these two things together um, because it is my responsibility to be protecting those who are sick and also perfect love casts out fear. Yes. So what is the, what is the way of faithfulness 
that the poem and Matthew 25 is moving us towards that both says um, the faithful way is proceeding with caution mm -hmm. to care for those who are most marginalized, those who are without health care. We know that the pandemic, the COVID-19 in the United States is disproportionately um, taking the lives of people without insurance, people who are black and brown, um, people who do not have the same ability to distance with working at home, whatnot, those yeah. who are in essential jobs. Um, and, and this idea of visiting the sick requires a different kind of creativity. It totally a does. Different, a different kind of imagination. Um, that my visiting someone who is sick doesn't, maybe doesn't mean I don't go, but it means I, I put a picture on the window or I wear a mask and visit on the front porch or, you know, um, that I put up someone's Christmas lights. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what it might be, but, um, yeah, but certainly it can't be a, it can't be a fear that, um, well, you know, while there are many who need to be who, who absolutely need to be in isolation. Um, there's this, and, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking against that. I, I think it's so important and necessary for so many people. So then how are we remembering those who are immunocompromised, those who are isolated? How are we um, faithfully responding to this call to visit the sick in times that require a new kind of creativity? Yeah, oh, I so appreciate those reflections. That's like, that's so important. Because I think our text also reminds us that in, in this space where our work to care for the most vulnerable requires distance, where we can't really physically be up close and personal um, to be safe and kind and loving and caring. Like, we, like there, there are some uh, new boundaries to work around that demand our creativity but we also can't like retreat into hibernation and ignorance with right. with a kind of cocoon of shelter um right that 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 physically distant does not mean spiritually neglectful um that that they right. there there are still some concrete demands i i've been saying this to to folks over and over again as we've had to like navigate can we do outdoor gatherings or like indoor gatherings or we're we're in the midst of like a freeze at the moment to flatten the curve again all these kinds of things and I keep telling people church has never been canceled like church has never been right right been frozen or anything like that the work of the church is still this to feed the hungry clothe the naked visit the sick attend to the poor and vulnerable and so um, how do we do that faithfully in this time that requires like immense creativity? Um, yeah, I love that image of putting up Christmas lights for neighbors who maybe can't. Um, that speaks to me about uh, uh, nurturing the light in these in these mm. places, the the places where Christ already is, um, wow. where we're we're not bringing the light. Like the light is already there, right? But perhaps we might be shepherding it or. Um, highlighting it or fanning it into flame. Mm. Yeah, I've said it at many points uh, throughout the pandemic, just this, this, this constant tension that we're dealing with, which is that we either isolate in yeah. suffering, in our suffering, we are isolated, we isolate in suffering, or we suffer in isolation. 
so it's it's just this and and this you know Matthew 25 seems to be speaking of this both that we don't want people to be suffering in isolation but the same is true that to close our eyes to isolate from the suffering is not the way of the righteous no it's not the way of eternal life it's not the political reality that God is calling us into it's not the way of no yeah that the that the way of christ the king demands this this attention to those who suffer in a loving faithful and generative way um and yeah and that feels like a really big task sometimes um but i i think I think the encouragement that I speak to myself and then to my people is that it is, it is Christ who enlivens us. It is Christ who enlightens us. It is Christ who fills us and fuels us for this work um, that we, yeah, that we're not, we're not in some kind of like arrogant triumphal way <laughs> trying to, to patronize people who are sick or, or hungry or um, needing clothes or anything like that. But it is, it is because we belong to the body of Christ that we locate ourselves among the body of Christ and that it, it is somehow the more, more than the sum of its parts when, when we right. are connected in that way, that, that, that Christ's presence is among us in a generative and healing way when, when we locate ourselves, our physical bodies um, in, in those spaces. And right, because those are the spaces where Christ is already. Right. And that's a, that's a mystery that sometimes I have trouble like articulating in a concrete way. Um, but it is one of the mysteries of our faith that, that Christ is among us already. Um, and that when, when we follow the way of Christ, the way of the cross, this costly work of discipleship, we find it to be the way of life and hope and joy and peace. Even, even when it is in those places that feel like they ought to be um, dark or full of suffering or whatever, right? I, I think when we try to isolate ourselves from suffering, we are actually cutting ourselves off from the body of Christ. I think that's what the text mm -hmm. is saying to us today. That, and that when we locate ourselves in those places where there is darkness or sickness or hunger or whatever, when we, when we are there, we find in some kind of mysterious paradoxical way that the presence and spirit of Christ is there. Yes. That, that makes Amen. me, <laughs> that makes me think a bit. There's, um, I have it like, uh, written out on this, like yellow piece of, it's like a legal pad, just sort of notebook paper. It's just like taped to my wall as the prayer of, of St. Francis. Um, yes. That, that reminds me of the work that Christ has called me to do. Um, not, not in a sort of checklist or to-do list sort of form, but to remember that where there is injury, Christ has called me to sow pardon. Where there is doubt, Christ has called me to sow faith. Where there is despair, Christ has called me to sow hope. Where there is darkness, Christ has called me to sow light. And where there is sadness, Christ has called me to sow joy. That, that this is the work that the Lord has given us all to do. And so when we, it, when we are in those spaces, because we ought to be in those spaces where there is darkness and injury and mourning and all of those kinds of things that because of the presence of Christ, we become instruments of Christ's peace and of Christ's mercy. Which what a statement, I mean, this, you know, the way of peace, if that's, 
wow, when we think about Christ in reigning and glory, right? It's this peaceful kingdom or this peaceable mm. kingdom. Um, you know, the what are the marks of that kind of life and the way mm. that that Christ reigned is even in, in the in his ministry on earth, right? Um, leading with a donkey instead of a horse mm. or, you know, choosing to wash feet with a towel instead of leading with a sword. And these are really different kinds of realities that we're invited into and a whole lot for a single sermon. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Maybe on that note, is there maybe like one key idea that you would want to bring to your people on Sunday? I mean, I feel like there's definitely a sermon with this Xenos moment. Um, mm. And I'm not sure that that's the fitting word for my community this Sunday, but it's got to be the fitting word for somebody. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's really something there um, that's deeply profound. And I do think mm. really sets us up for, for Advent. But I, I think, you know, um, not apart from that, but within it, just this, the, the ways in which this moment requires deep creativity mm. towards where in, where in which we locate our bodies. Um, because so much of, so much of this is spatial, is physical. Mm. Um, I mean, as I look out my office window, right, I can close my eyes and see past like four blocks of trees into, you know, four blocks of trees and houses and convenience stores and whatnot to a community that is quite easy to ignore where many are unhoused, where many have been in prison and are living um, without shelter now, where many are suffering from addiction. I mean, it's, it's so close and yet without intentionality, my body can stay away from that physical space, even, even proximity of four blocks, right? Yeah. So I think um, for me, you know, a sermon about, about proximity and location that takes COVID seriously, Ooh. you know, that, that takes seriously um, the act of maintaining the boundaries that are, upon, that are been asked of us for, for the least of these, which is exactly what Jesus is asking of us, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. Um, so in my, in our feeding of the hungry or visiting of the sick or sharing water and clothes, um, that part of that faithfulness is, is taking the pandemic as seriously as an ask of us in order to protect the least of these who are those who are, you know, really quite honestly, the ones who are dying. Yeah, man. And that's a lot. That is a lot for one sermon. Um, I think similarly, the, the, the thing that is sparkling up to me from the text is this demand on my physical body and my actual geophysical location that to proclaim the reign of Christ demands, um, demands something from like where I locate my body. Um, and in this time, because we take the pandemic seriously, that demands some creativity. So um, I, yeah, I, I think, I think that is 
yeah, that's really going to be important for me and for, for my community. Um, I think also it's going to be important for me and my community to speak a word of encouragement, to say, this is who you already are. This is where Christ already is. And to maybe highlight the, the ways that, that I see them doing the good work of Christ. Um, Cause yes. again, from the text, the, these groups don't seem particularly self-aware. And I think that's often really <laughs> yeah. true of our church people, right? That they don't think about um, dropping off a can of soup on somebody's doorstep as like, like, uh, generative or feeding of the hungry. They're like, oh, I mean, like, that's just something that I do. You know what I mean? And I, I think helping a community narrate their own story in light of the reign of Christ is, is really important to say, like, I see Christ in you. I see the work of Christ in you, the body of Christ. Um, and I think speaking that word of encouragement um, is really important in these times where we can feel like, oh, we can't do the things that we always right, right. do. Um, and so to, to have the imaginative preaching work to say like, actually you already are, and Christ is already among you. Um, right. So let's, let's continue to shepherd that light well. Amen. Oh my gosh, Megan, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking some time um, to be with us. And this has been so um, encouraging for me. Uh, I'm going to remind our listeners to check out our website. There's some stellar contributors there as always. Um, and we'll post a couple of these links, like, like the music we mentioned, the poem that Megan read, um, some of these other things, we'll post them in our discussion group because I just felt like we had a lot of really meaningful outside voices enriching our conversation this week. So keep an eye on our Facebook page discussion group for some of those links and sending you out with a blessing to preach boldly and we'll see you next week.